You interact with people every day, more people than you may realize. Some interactions are quick and might never happen again. Some interactions are quick but happen pretty regularly. Some are longer and more personal. Some last a lifetime. We don't believe that these interactions happen by coincidence. We believe that each interaction is an opportunity, an opportunity to share the love of Christ with a hurting world. Are your interactions making a difference? Well, several years ago, I was a seminary student in downtown Chicago, and I remember, you know, after class one day, it was, it was pretty common after a, a full day of classes for a few of us as, as classmates to gather together and head out into the city streets of Chicago, you know, looking to grab some grub, right? We, we were hungry. We wanted to get some dinner. And I remember on this particular day, one of my classmates said, hey, have you ever had Giordano's Chicago-style deep dish pizza? And I said, no, I never have. And he said, well, you got to go. We got to... We got to go there. You've got to try it. And I said, okay, I love pizza. Let's do it. And so we walked about the seven or eight blocks over to Rush Street. And we waited for, you know, a long time, first outside, then inside. And then finally we were taken to our table. Our order was taken. And then we waited for what seemed like an eternity, stomachs growling, until our pizza, our pizza finally arrived at our table. And I remember thinking when I saw this pizza, it looks a little different than any pizza I'd ever had before. And as I lifted that first slice, it felt a little heavier than the pizza I was used to. But then I took that first bite. And my life was never the same. <laughs> my word, this pizza was incredible. It was phenomenal. And I held the pizza out at arm's length and I said, where have you been all my life? Like this was incredible pizza. And so I remember being excited, like to share that with my family and with really anybody that would listen. Hey, have you ever had Giordano's deep dish Chicago style pizza? You haven't? Well, man, if you're ever in Chicago, man, you've got to go try it. And oh, by the way, you don't even have to wait till you get to Chicago because did you know that Giordano's will deliver pizza anywhere in the United States right to your door? I became sort of this Giordano's pizza ambassador because I had found something incredibly good. And I just couldn't wait to tell other people about it. Have you ever experienced that kind of thing? Like, what do you find in your life that's so good that you just can't help but to share it? Can't help but to tell other people about it. Maybe it's that Netflix series that you started last week that might just be the best show that you've ever seen. Or maybe the book series that you came finally to the end of and you can't imagine anyone else not experiencing it. Perhaps it's that, that tool that made the job so much easier, or that app that you, you have on your phone that has completely revolutionized your daily schedule. Maybe the phenomenal deal that you found. Maybe it's the, the big game that your, your team just won. Whatever it is, these kinds of moments, I think, they reveal something very basic about us as human beings. It's this, that when people experience something good, they want to share it. They want to tell other people about it. It's a natural instinct that we have to want to do that. And I think this actually becomes more and more true the higher the stakes get. For example, if my, if my team wins a regular season game, I might mention that to someone. But if they win the World Series, man, watch out. I'm about to get annoying. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm actually still talking about 1986, the last year the New York Mets won the World Series. 
because it's a big deal. It's good news to me, and I love talking about it. And today we're beginning a brand new three-part series on how we can effectively share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And I think this concept of, of wanting to share good news, I think it helps explain why Christians are so bent on sharing their faith with other people. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you get this. This resonates with you because, because you've experienced the hope and the joy and the peace that only Christ can bring, and you desperately desire those that you love to come to experience that also. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, then first of all, we're really glad you're here with us. But this just might be one of the things that you find most annoying about Christianity is that they just won't shut up. But we hope at least that this message today and even this series might help clarify and at least help you understand the heart behind the practice. In fact, why do Christians share their faith? Why do we share our faith? Well, I think you could say, you know, quite simply, we have to and we want to. We have to and we want to. First of all, we're commanded to do it. We have to share our faith. Jesus commanded his followers to tell other people about him. He did that in Matthew 28, verse 19, where he says, go and make disciples of all nations, or go make other Jesus followers, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And the very last thing that Jesus told his disciples before he left them was in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, you will be my witnesses, or you'll tell people all over the world about me. And Jesus' followers have been doing just that ever since. So we're obeying our leader, you could say, when we share our faith. But I think what's even more significant, it's not just that we have to share our faith. No, we want to. We're compelled to do it. We want to share our faith. We believe that in Jesus we've discovered something of immeasurable worth. And it's our absolute joy and privilege to invite other people to come experience it along with us. But I think the question today might come, should we share our faith? I mean, is it even an acceptable thing to do? In fact, according to some recent research, almost half of millennials, 47%, agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. And so today I think it can be viewed as sort of a, a, an insensitive forcing of one's culture upon another. And I think this morning that you might actually find it surprising to note that the Apostle Paul would actually agree with these millennials under one condition. That unless the gospel of Jesus is a unique source of truth and hope in our world, then it's not worth sharing. That unless there's something that sets Christianity apart from every other belief system and world religion, then it's actually useless to share. Listen to Paul's own words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And then just two verses later, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so how dare we attempt to convince someone else of their need for Jesus if it's not true? If it's not true, it would be the most insensitive thing to do. It would be the most hateful thing we could do. But if it is true, if it's true that people are really separated from the God that made them and loves them, and that the only way they can have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ, then the most loving thing that we could ever do is to share 
our faith. There's a lot of talk these days. You've heard, I'm sure, about possible COVID, COVID-19 vaccines, rumors about one being developed. Maybe we'll see that happen soon. But imagine, will you with me, in a back room somewhere, a scientist finally discovers the proven vaccine, the proven cure for COVID-19. But, but she decides instead of letting everyone know about it, she's just going to keep it to herself and withhold it from the millions of people around the world that so desperately need the vaccine. Wouldn't that be the most hateful thing that she could do? Well, we believe similarly that there's a spiritual virus called sin that affects every single person on planet earth and it has a 100% mortality rate. And we believe that in Jesus, God has revealed to us the vaccine and the most loving thing we could possibly do would be to share it freely with those that need it. And the most hateful thing we could do is to keep it to ourselves. And so this drives our desire to share our faith. And just as Paul did, we believe that the resurrection of Jesus is an irrefutable historical fact preserved through eyewitness testimony. And based on the reality of that event, Jesus said that what a person decides about him will determine their eternal destiny. And what distinguishes biblical Christianity from every other world religion or belief system is that it's not about how good you are, but about who and what you trust in. And when it comes to whether or not people might be interested in knowing about Jesus, we think that the human experience is actually on our side here because internally, intrinsically, people all over the world know that something deep within is broken. Something's missing. There's an emptiness that they just can't seem to fill. And people all over the world search for a solution. And though many solutions are sought and even found, those solutions all end up being temporary. And they all lead back to emptiness and further searching. But the one that doesn't lead back to emptiness and further searching is the one that isn't earned, but instead is received as a free gift by trusting in Jesus' payment on the cross for our sins. That is the gospel, the greatest news in all the world that we just can't keep silent about. But even those of us who believe we should share our faith, man, we still seem to have such a hard time doing it because it can be awkward and we've seen it done so ineffectively in the past. And because of different personalities and temperaments and wiring, man, some people seem like they're a little bit too bold, a little bit too brash, a little insensitive, a little tactless. Well, other people are kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum and they're a little more reserved and shy and timid and they might be scared and they might feel the whole thing is incredibly awkward and uncomfortable. And while personally I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, I find that I'm often ashamed at the way many Christians, including myself, tend to share the gospel. You see, because of uncertainty and fear and I think even confusion, we can be tempted to resort to some very unnatural and quite honestly some straight up strange methods of sharing the gospel, of sharing our faith. Like showing up to a complete stranger's house, uninvited, only to attempt to have the most deep conversation that this poor fellow's ever had in his life about eternal matters. Or leaving reading materials behind in public places for people we've never met before. And have you ever wondered if when Jesus talked about making disciples, he had something different in mind, something far better? We think that he did. In fact, we want to introduce you today to an approach that's actually 
far more natural and I think even far easier than you may have thought. We want to introduce our outreach approach, what we've come to call Pi Squared, P-I-I. And this will be review for many, but it'll be brand new for others. But, but P-I-I, it simply stands for Pray, Invest, Invite. Pray, invest, invite. And this is our outreach approach. This is the process that we've had the pleasure of seeing God use over and over again. In this series, we've named it Living Pi Squared because this is actually intended to be a way of life, not just an activity that we participate in. It starts with prayer. It involves a whole lot of relational investing, and it culminates in an invitation to a conversation about Jesus or an invitation to a place like this where a person might learn more about what it means to follow Christ. In each week of this three-part series, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the three parts of this model, pray, invest, and invite. And so today, we're going to look at the P in our pi-squared model, pray, and then next week, we'll look at invest. Week three, we'll look at invite. So let's think about the importance of prayer. What is prayer, anyway? I think the simplest definition I could, could think of is simply this. Prayer is talking to God. That's all prayer is. It's not a dry religious exercise. No, it's a conversation with our Heavenly Father. And so when we think about prayer as the first part of our pi-squared approach, we're thinking there about asking God to do what only He can do. Asking God to draw people to Himself. It's a conversation with our Father. What is prayer's purpose, you might ask? Well, I think at least these four things. First, prayer is to acknowledge God's sovereignty, to recognize that God is in ultimate control. So in this way, prayer, you could say, is kind of our declaration of dependence upon God and what he will choose to do. And we recognize that, that we don't get to decide. We don't ultimately decide who it is that will put their faith in Christ. I think sometimes we can make the mistake of, of feeling like it all kind of depends on us. That if we just have enough knowledge, if we just use a clever enough strategy, if we just have the right timing, then it'll all work out well. But I think we need to recognize that as important as all of those things are, they all function underneath a greater understanding of God's sovereignty, of his absolute control. That he is in control, and thankfully, he isn't limited by our shortcomings. I'm so thankful to know that. The second purpose of prayer is to submit to God's will. It's not enough, you see, to just understand that God is in control. We need, you and I need to bend our stubborn will to God's will, to what he desires, what he wants. And we need to pray like Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Third, the third purpose is to get God's heart. In prayer, you and I align our hearts, our priorities with God's heart. And when we get God's heart, people become our focus because Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save those who were lost. And people are on the heart of God. And so when we get God's heart, we start to get a heart for people. And in this way, prayer does just as much in us as it does through us. And then a fourth purpose for prayer is to move God's hand. I think this is just another way of saying that prayer changes things. It makes an actual difference. James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, he makes it clear that, that when our hearts are in tune with God's heart, we actually receive what we ask. Listen how he talks about it in James chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. He says, you do not have 
because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. But then in the next chapter, in, in verse 16, he says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so the prayer of a righteous person, it actually makes a difference. And I think the question I often have, and the question probably you have is, how? How does it make a difference? How does all this work? How do our meager prayers actually move the hand of an almighty God? That's incredible. Well, I love how Max Lucado described it. He said it this way. He said, our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. I love that perspective. We may not understand how all this works, how all this functions, but somehow in God's greater plan, he uses our imperfect prayers to accomplish his perfect work. So then I don't think it's surprising at all that Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to it. Give your life to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And I think based on just these three verses, Paul reveals to us three things that you and I ought to pray for when it comes to those in our lives who are far from God, those that we desire to impact with the gospel. Three things we can pray for. The first is opportunity. Pray for opportunity to come your way. Paul says it this way, pray that God may open a door. Be watchful, he says. In other words, be expectant. Be expectant when you pray that God will open doors, that opportunities will come your way. And I think this works in one of two ways. Either that God actually does open a brand new door for you, or that you begin to notice the opportunities that are already right in front of you that God might have for you. In either case, pray for opportunities. The second thing we can pray for is boldness. Boldness. Paul uses the word proclaim two times in these three little verses. And he, he talks about proclaiming the mystery of Christ. And this word proclaim, it literally means what you would think it means. It means to speak or to say something. And you know, the truth of the matter is, guys, that as we attempt to share the gospel, at some point, we're going to need to say something. And that takes courage. That takes boldness. And you know, living a good life in front of unbelievers, that's very important. But I want you to know that that's not enough. In the end, it's not enough because unless we speak the gospel, the mystery of Christ, as Paul calls it, will remain, well, mysterious, unclear, foggy in the mind of the person that doesn't know Christ. And so we need to be bold enough to use words. Notice that Paul here describes himself as in chains. That's how bold Paul was for the gospel, that not even threats, not even arrests, not even jail could keep him from speaking, from being bold with the message that he knew people so desperately needed to hear. I think it's similar to what Peter and John expressed as they themselves faced threats. Back in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, they pray, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So whatever you and I are facing in our attempt to share the gospel, let's pray that we have the boldest that we need to speak when necessary. And then third, clarity. 
We're going to need clarity. I love Paul's expression of this. He says that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And I love that Paul concerned himself here with his approach to sharing Christ, that he could present it in a way that would be most understandable for the ones that were listening. And we want to look whenever we can to remove unnecessary obstacles and barriers and speak to people, talk to people in very natural and conversational ways. And I think we need clarity of mind as well. Clarity to understand when to speak and what to say and how to say it. And so in your attempts to share your faith, I want to encourage you to pray specifically for these three things when it comes to how God just might use you to reach others with the gospel. Opportunities to come your way, boldness for when they do, and clarity to know how to handle them. What to say, what not to say, and how to say it. You know, it might surprise you to know that, that even as a pastor, this practice of sharing my faith doesn't always come that naturally to me. I, I have the same, um, man, apprehensions and challenges in it that, that you do. I, I'm sure of that. And yes, by God's grace, I've gotten the joy of experiencing helping someone cross the line of faith many times. But if I'm honest, more times than not, I've walked away from these conversations feeling like a failure. But I'll tell you, there's somebody that I know that's really good at this. In fact, she's a, a real natural in my book, and that is my mom. My mom is like a rock star, I think, when it comes to sharing her faith with her friends. In fact, I have vivid memories growing up of my mom sharing her faith with her friends only to see them, only to see them put their trust in Jesus, and ma in many cases, also their children. And then sometimes even years later, their husbands, and lives were transformed, and families were changed for generations to come. And in fact, my mom is still shining the light of Jesus these days. And recently, she got the joy of seeing one of her lifelong friends, Judy, put her faith in Christ just this past June. And I got the opportunity last week to sit down with my mom and with Judy. And I wanted to share part of that conversation with you. So why don't you go ahead and take a look? My friendship with Joyce started way back in elementary school. And we've always been good friends right from day one. I met Judy in elementary school. I think maybe it was second grade. As I was growing up, I would think of her often. And when I would think of her many times as a child, as I'd go to bed, I'd pray that the Lord would be close to her and that someday she would ex accept him as her savior. I remember over the years, Joyce tried to share the gospel with me. And the one time I remember yeah, my friend Barb and I went down to, to visit her, and she gave her testimony that day to us, but we didn't really understand. It didn't really make an impact then. We discussed it on the way home, and we just weren't ready. In our adulthood, we'd have a chance to talk to each other many times about things that were more serious, and there were times I really thought, well, she, she does get this, and then she would say something that would make me not so sure. I remember praying through the years that Christ would come into Judy's life. When the Lord brought her to my mind, I really, it didn't mean a lot to me and I really wanted her to be saved. But I realized also that you can't do it for someone else. They have to make the decision, it has to be theirs. Joyce sending me videos from her church and then she told me about Northridge Church where Mark preaches. And I listened to both of those and watched them on my computer. And I just started thinking about 
uh, how long it had been since I had read the Bible. And after I listened to the videos, it's like it would always run in my mind after that. It never, I, I never stopped thinking about it. So one day I just went over and got the Bible and started reading it. And little by little, things started to resonate to make sense. I even remember the day when I asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me and fill me with the Holy Spirit. And that day was June 11th. My life before I knew Christ, looking back on it now, I realized that I did a lot of worrying and I tried to control all the situations in my life to be sure that my life was in control. And I didn't have anybody or anything to reach out to, to pray to. It felt like I was looking for something, but I hadn't found it yet. There were times that I wondered would my prayers even result in Judy's salvation, but I just had to trust God. Over all the years, Joyce praying for me means more to me than I can say. She's a very caring person and a very good friend. And who else would pray for you for 30 or 40 years until she knows for sure you're saved? I asked her once, why did you pray for me for so long? And she goes, well, when I get to heaven, I want to be sure that my family and my friends are there. So now uh, Joyce will have me with her for eternity. I have seen such growth in her in such a short amount of time, how she's burdened for her children and for her husband, and that she just, it's so much on her heart that everyone she knows comes to the Lord. I've grown in my faith since Jesus saved me by walking with him every day, by knowing that I don't ever need anything else. And I remember when I first was saved and I told Joyce, I don't even care if I have anything else in my life except Jesus. That's all I need. I don't need another thing. It's been awesome for me to realize that Judy's accepted Christ and that not only are we going to be friends in this life, but we'll be best of friends even in eternity. Man, isn't that incredible? Isn't it amazing what God can do and what he chooses to do, what he's still up to, changing hearts and lives? Little did we know as a family, as our families interacted all those years ago, decades ago, that one day there would be a time when Judy would call out in faith to Jesus for, for her eternal salvation. And man, we're so thankful. I'm so grateful that my mom never stopped praying for her I wonder if there's someone in your life today that you're praying for, someone uh, on maybe a list of people that, that you're praying for and you're asking that God would bring that person to himself, bring them to a saving faith in Jesus. And maybe you don't feel like your prayers have worked. Maybe there's even someone that you used to pray for, but you no longer do because you've kind of given up on them. And Judy's story this morning is a reminder to all of us to never give up on people we just simply don't know what God might do. We don't know what his timetable is. So often we have our own ideas about what that ought to look like, but God's timetable is so often different than ours. So today I want to reignite in myself and reignite in you a new desire to get to work in daily prayer for some very specific people in your life. In fact, we want to, we want to just say that our, our daily prayer 
uh, formula, you could, you could say, you could call it is, is pi squared equals four plus one. Pi squared equals four plus one. What we mean by that is, pi squared daily prayer means praying for four people plus one divine opportunity. Four very specific people. Who are these people? Well, this list is gonna include a family member. That could be immediate or extended. A friend, a neighbor, and a coworker or classmate, depending on your stage of life. And then one divine opportunity. Pray for a divine opportunity as well that, that someone might come across your path that God has prepared to receive the gospel and that you have an opportunity to share it with them. So four specific people that we're gonna ask you to pray for every day in the coming days. That's a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker or a classmate and then a divine opportunity. And we're gonna actually give you here just a few moments to think about who those people are in your own life and actually write those names down. And so if you have your Northridge Church app open right now, and if you're taking notes, you're gonna see a spot uh, right there in your notes where you can write these four names down. Uh, but we wanna give you about 30 seconds to just go ahead and write some names down right now for people that you desire to pray for in the coming days. So go ahead and take 30 seconds. Strobel, who himself was an atheist for many years before putting his faith in Christ, he asks a very challenging and probing question. He said this, if, if God showed up to you in person tonight and said, I'm going to answer every single prayer that you prayed last week, would there be new people in heaven tomorrow? Wow. And that's a challenging question to me and, and maybe to you as well. And I, I want to encourage us all to begin a new pattern this week so that we could answer yes to that question in the future if it were asked of us. If you'd like some help in remembering, because I know I could use that personally, if you'd like some help in remembering, we'd love to help you out every day with a text reminder for the next 21 days. And so if you'd like that text reminder as a way, a simple way of remembering to pray for the people on your Pi Squared list, we want to push you to the website iwant.info in fact, we introduced this site uh, last week as our brand new hub for everything that you might have information about or any next step that you want to take in your faith. I want.info, if you go there at the very top of the page, you'll see an opportunity to request that text reminder for the next 21 days. We hope that can be a help to you. But in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk more specifically about the final two parts of our outreach approach, invest and invite. But, but here's what we believe. We believe so much in the power of prayer that we believe that if all you did was genuinely pray for the people on your heart, that they would come to know Christ, that God would do so much in you and so much through you that the rest of the process would actually fall into place quite naturally. In fact, we wanna just do that right now. Let's ask God for him to do what only he can do. So let's, let's pray. God, we uh, need you. And we are so thankful for 
the grace and the mercy that you've poured into our lives and for the greatest news in all the world that Christ has uh, carried our sins to the cross and made a way that we could be made right with you forever. And so we just desire that those in our lives that we love would come to embrace that same great message. And we pray that you'd give us wisdom in how we approach that. And Lord, that you'd put these people on our hearts each and every day that we would be praying faithfully for them. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.